This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking with two fire protection engineering experts. They are Chris J. Linowitz, the Interim Chief Executive Officer at the Society of Fire Protection Engineers, as well as Stephen Dale, Licensed Professional Engineer and Director of Technical Services at the Cincinnati Insurance Companies. We will be talking about fire protection engineering, its scope, the essential skills required to excel in this profession the various career paths that one can pursue in the field of fire protection engineering, and the initial steps one can take to embark on in this career journey. And one thing I'll say about this episode is before I interviewed both Chris and Steven, I wasn't sure that you could become a fire protection engineer without going to undergraduate engineering school for fire protection engineering, but you can. You could be practicing as a civil or mechanical or other engineer and decide to pivot and make a transition. And Chris and Stephen will talk about that in this episode. Before we go on here, I would like to give a big thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, the Society of Fire Protection Engineers. Working to engineer a fire safe world since 1950, SFPE is the world's leading professional society for fire protection and fire safety engineering. Comprised of more than 5,100 members and growing, SFPE publishes technical resources and hosts live and on-demand education programs to provide engineers with the knowledge to protect people, structures, and communities from fire. To help engineers prepare for each year's Principles and Practice of Engineering PE Fire Protection Exam, SFPE has developed an 18-week review course that focuses on the fundamentals of fire protection engineering while preparing candidates to think critically, adapt to the exam, and be successful professional engineers. Past participants of the SFPE PE exam review course report a 90% pass rate on the exam, notably higher than the NCEES reported first-time pass rate at 74%. To learn more about SFPE or to sign up for the online review course starting this June, visit sfpe.org. That's sfpe.org. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guests onto the podcast today. Chris Jelenowitz is the Interim Chief Executive Officer at the Society of Fire Protection Engineers. And Stephen Dale is the Director of Technical Services at the Cincinnati Insurance Companies. Stephen, Chris, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you guys are doing on a daily basis in your roles. And Chris, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I work for the Society of Fire Protection Engineers, known as SFPE. SFPE's headquarters is in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland. However, I work right here in my home in Newark, Delaware, outside the University of Delaware. Uh, I've been at SFP for 19 years. Uh, I started as their qualifications manager, worked on the PE exam, our ABET program, a lot of programs that promote fire protection engineering. 
And about 10 years ago, I moved on to be the chief engineer for SFPE, where I work on their technical documents that we'll talk about hopefully later today. And then three weeks ago, I was appointed the interim CEO, where I'm really responsible for the operations of, of SFPE. I'm a PE in the state of California and a graduate from the University of Maryland in College Park in Fire Protection Engineering. Stephen, how about you? I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I work for Cincinnati Insurance. I've been here for 11 years now. I work for Cincinnati Insurance, but I'm here representing SFPE in my role as the PE Exam Review Committee Chair. And since today, I'm the director of our technical services in our loss control department. I oversee a group of about 15 subject matter experts, not all of whom are in fire protection. We have another PE on staff in fire protection. He manages a team of five fire protection specialists and also an infrared thermographer on that team. And then we also have a group of subject matter experts in other safety and health fields. We have construction safety specialists, product safety specialists. Because as an insurance company, we insure a lot of different hazards. And so I oversee our whole technical unit doing a lot of different things, looking at large data trends on losses, not just fire protection. I also happen to be responsible for our department's data program, innovation, emerging risk. So I do a little bit of everything, but I keep my hat very much involved in fire protection engineering on a daily basis by looking at our risk evaluation program or fire risk assessment and how we report on that. And then I also, I'm on four NFPA committees. Obviously, my work with SFPE, I'm the vice president of our local SFPE chapter. So a big part of my job is to represent Cincinnati Insurance outside of our company as well. So I do a lot externally. The other part of my career in the insurance industry, I spent my entire career in the insurance industry and I went to Oklahoma State University and they had for a long time a bachelor's degree in fire protection and safety engineering technology. Before that, I got involved in uh, fire protection. I got here by way of the fire service. I was a volunteer firefighter, and um, which is not uncommon, I think, for some people with a, in the fire protection community. Just a, an interesting career lesson there in itself is what you said about representing you know, your company externally or in the community. I think that's a big part of what engineers, all engineers should be thinking about is, you know, I know you're busy with your own projects in your company, but, you know, kind of getting out there, getting involved in your community, representing your company well, I think is a big part of growing your career. All organizations are looking for engineers to do that. And I'm happy to hear you speak a little bit about that. And so, Chris, what does fire protection engineering entail and how do fire protection engineers reduce the risk of fire? Can you talk about that a little bit? Fire protection engineers use science and technology to reduce the risk of fire. So I was intrigued by your question to use the word risk, uh, which is an important part of our profession. Most fire protection engineers work in the design of buildings. However, they work a lot of other places too, but that's the most common. And I, I'll kind of walk you through the way a fire protection engineer would look at a design of a building. First of all, they analyze how the building is used. So for example, they determine what are the unique hazards in that building that could be a problem with uh, fire smoke spread in the building. They take a hard look at the occupant characteristics. So for example, you would design an elementary school very much differently than you would design a common office building. 
or you would design a huge stadium very much different than you would a very tall building because the occupants in the buildings are going to act differently and respond to fire differently. And then also analyzing the building entails looking at the building itself. What are the unique building characteristics? Is it a tall building? Is it a large building? Does it have any interesting structural components to it? Are there large atriums in the building? And then once you understand how that building is being used, the next step is to look at if we did have a fire in the building, how would fire and smoke travel throughout the building? And uh, fire protection and engineers could do this by using simple hanging calculations all the way up to very large computational fire dynamics fire models to look at the way uh, the fire and smoke will travel through the building. And then once we know that, we look at how does the fire and smoke impact people or affect people, which is a very important thing to look at. And then finally, once we know all that, we will design systems that can control the fire, like water-based systems or sprinkler systems, systems that alert people to danger and provide instructions or information to the building occupants about the emergency. They design the means of escape, so they determine how many exit stairs we have, how wide the exit stairs are, how many doors do you have, exit doors do you have in each room and the building itself, and then they protect the structure itself. A large component of fire protection engineering is working with structural engineers to make sure that when the structure is exposed to fire, that the structure itself will remain in place. So one, people can exit the building safely, but also at the same time, ensure that when the firefighters come into the building, that they're going to have a safe structure to fight the fire and do their operations. Stephen, just to go back to you for a minute here, what are some of the different career paths that are available to those who are interested in pursuing a career in fire protection engineering? What are some of the steps that one might take to kind of embark on that journey? Kind of some of the examples Chris gave is you can see how those might be touched by everything he mentioned. One of the most obvious, obviously, is design or consulting engineers. A lot of the AE firms have uh, fire protection engineers on staff for just exactly what Chris was talking about. So that's kind of an obvious one. Maybe what is not as obvious is there's a lot of government employment opportunities at the federal, state, and local level. So at the federal level, obviously GSA is a big employer and they have a lot of buildings the federal government does. But also the DOD, mass notification is a real important element in fire protection engineering with fire alarm systems. And Department of Defense is a big employer, as well as the Department of Energy, DOE, and the National Labs. So, for example, like uh, Los Alamos or Oak Ridge, the National Labs uh, have a lot of opportunities there. So, And then in the state and local level, fire marshal's offices have places where they employ fire protection engineers to do plans review and code consulting internally and to work with architects and those AE firms who are submitting plans for review. Because Many jurisdictions have plans review requirements that obviously pertain to life safety and fire protection of buildings. One of the things that people don't think about a lot is my entire career I spent in the insurance industry. The insurance industry hires fire protection engineers. Virtually every building out there has to have insurance, and the insurance industry has a vested interest along with the owner in making sure the buildings have are safe from fire and the occupants inside are safe from fire and smoke. So there's a lot of uh, need for fire protection engineers in the insurance industry. Manufacturers, you know, I'm here in Cincinnati where we have Procter & Gamble, 
obviously headquartered here. General Electric has a big presence here. In Ohio, there's a lot of auto manufacturing. Big manufacturers need fire protection engineers to help protect their, their properties. And so there's a lot of that. And then I guess other research labs like Underwriters Laboratory, and they do a lot of research and certification of products and materials and fire protection equipment. There's also some testing laboratories that do product sampling for testing. So for example, one of the things that we do in fire protection engineering is test products to see its flammability, for example, or the explosibility, say, of a dust. We can take a sample of dust and send it in for testing. And that's done at a specialized testing laboratory. Typically, that's run by fire protection engineers. So there's a lot of different uh, employment opportunities. In terms of career path, that's, I guess we're going to assume, you know, we're talking about maybe mid-career folks. Obviously, if you're in college, you can get degrees in fire protection engineering. There's a few places for that. Obviously, Chris mentioned University of Maryland at College Park, and I went to Oklahoma State. There's some others, WPI, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. But in terms of a mid-career, there's a lot of really good ways to pivot, if you will, or say you're a mechanical engineer or civil engineer and you are a little familiar with fire protection engineering. I think about a lot is, is to you can go to SFP's website, sfp.org, and there's some really good classes online. You can begin to learn about fire protection engineering through some of their classes. You can join SFPE. There are local chapters you can get involved with. I know in my local chapter here, we have some mechanical engineers that show up to our chapters to just learn. You know, they know they interface with them. But then also ASSC, ASCE, ASME, ANSI, all these different standards organizations a lot of their standards by fire, we use as fire protection engineers for pipe and steel and test standards and that. You know, you can get involved in a testing organization or a test standard committee. It's a great way to learn about fire protection engineering and then pivot beyond just taking some courses or, or that. Obviously, you can do that. So that's just some of the things I was thinking about in terms of how one might pivot, if you will, maybe mid-career. That's definitely one of the reasons, of course, that I have Stephen and Chris here with us because we do have a lot of listeners to this podcast that are civil, that are mechanical, and you can make a pivot. I mean, you may, you know, I think that's one of the great things about engineering is that you have a lot of opportunities throughout your career to try different things. As a civil engineer, I met several mechanical engineers that transitioned into civil and they were working in the firm that I worked at. So it's good to hear that there are opportunities for you to try something out. You can, you know, learn about it by doing some of the things there that Stephen recommended. Chris, where do fire protection engineers work and how's the work different from other engineering professions? And when I say where do they work, mean like types of projects, locations, and I know you mentioned a little bit earlier, but just wanted to dig a little deeper there. Normally you would see a fire protection engineer work at a building with some kind of unusual hazard or some other unusual type of a building concept that's evolved. So for example, tall buildings is a great example because of their height, it's very difficult to evacuate a large number of people from a tall building very fast. Or there's issues with water supply. How do we get water up to the upper floors for not only the firefighters, but for our systems like uh, sprinkler systems? And then there's also unique notification issues. Uh, how do we, if there's a fire on the 70th floor, you know, should we be evacuating the people on the second floor? Well, normally we don't, but how we deal with that is through notification systems that provide 
define messages to the building occupants. So whether you need to stay put or whether you need to evacuate to another location, safe place in the building. Another good example, I think, would be the Las Vegas Strip. If you go out to Las Vegas, you see all those interesting buildings. There's tall buildings, there's large buildings, uh, different shapes. Uh, For example, the Venetian Hotel is designed so that you think you're outside in Venice when you're really inside the building, and they provide a lot of interesting fire protection issues. And one thing we're seeing in our profession is buildings like tall buildings or these unusual like casino-type buildings is that they really don't fit in well to the prescriptive codes. So what we're seeing a lot is that fire protection engineers will work to come up with called performance-based design, where instead of designing buildings based on unique types of occupancies like a hotel or an apartment building, we're really looking at that specific building itself. And once again, looking at the building characteristics, the unique occupant characteristics And then how the fire would travel in that building, which really, they're the kind of projects that are a lot of fun, the fire protection engineers, because you're, you know, you're using the tools you learned in school, whether it be computer models or different equations and things like that, as opposed to really designing things within the prescriptive codes themselves. Also, stadiums. Due to the large amount of, whether they're indoor or outdoor, the large amount of occupants and how you decide on evacuating them. Uh, Large warehouses really pose a unique hazard, especially when we see warehouses getting higher, higher, higher. The fire problem becomes a lot harder to control as the height of the storage increases or when we we see things like uh, automated storage, of course where boxes are compact a lot tighter than we would normally see them provide another unique hazard that fire protection engineers look at. And then the other interesting thing is we work with a lot of the different disciplines. So when we're talking about the exits themselves, the exiting strategy or the means of egress strategy, we're working with the architects. Uh, We're talking about sprinkler systems in the building. We're working with the mechanical engineers. Things like water supply to the building, we're working with the civil engineers. We work a lot with the structural engineers and how they protect the structures for fire. And then electrical engineers, we work a lot with them when it comes to things like the fire alarm system, exit signs, and emergency lighting in the building. Sounds like there's a lot of exciting and challenging aspects to career in fire protection engineering. And Yeah, that was interesting. You mentioned performance-based design. That's been definitely a big trend throughout engineering. We've done a couple of episodes on our Structural Engineering Channel podcast related to performance-based design. And for those of you out there not familiar with that, essentially what that is, is because some codes are very old, and obviously a lot of things have changed in the world in the last few years or so, if you're trying to design something to an existing code, you could grossly underdesign it or overdesign it if you design it to that code. And so performance-based design is where you might come in and say, this design is going to be really good for this situation, even though it doesn't meet the current code. And you would present it to the city or the town or the municipality and try to get, and a lot of times they'll work with you if it makes sense. And so it's a good thing because it's flexible and I think it's practical, really, which is what I think we want to be as engineers. 
it was interesting to hear kind of Chris mention that. And so back to Stephen here. So Stephen, what are some of the common misconceptions that people might have about fire protection engineering? First one is that Chris has talked about, we just deal with sprinkler systems. The biggest one is that, well, it's just about sprinkler systems, or maybe it's just about fire alarm systems. It's way more than that. It's fire protection engineering is a multidisciplinary practice that encompasses a broad range of areas, thermodynamics, statistics, mechanical engineering, a little bit of civil engineering. We deal with explosion control and protection. We deal with human behavior and life safety. Some of the human behavior stuff goes into the flow of traffic, much like you would in civil engineering and traffic control with human behavior and the psychology when as people exit down stairwells, there's some psychology that goes into that. It's a lot more than that. When we deal with passive fire protection, we haven't really even talked much about passive fire protection. So the building structure and, and the fireproofing and segmentation and within a building, uh, there's a lot of civil engineering that goes into that. So the fire protection engineering is way more than just sprinkler systems. Smoke control is mechanical engineering but with a twist, you know, we have to be very cognizant of what we're doing in that tower, in that stair tower, and not overpressure the door because we can overpressure the stairwell and now you can't open the door to get into the stairwell, right? We've put too much pressure on the, right? It's just like you were saying, we can overpressure a stairwell and so that you're never going to get smoke in there. But then we put too much pressure, people can't open the door to get into the stairwell, right? So there's a lot that goes on to it. It's way more than just sprinkler systems. And the other thing, I don't think people realize that fire protection engineering and the offshoots are everywhere. The National Electric Code, which is an NFPA standard, is everywhere. It's in every building that we're in. It's in, in every building throughout the world. Mostly, you know, the developed uh, countries are using uh, standards are using the NEC. That comes from the NFPA standards that your fire protection engineers help write that. The life safety code that, that we've talked about. Literally every uh, restaurant that we go into nowadays and certainly in the u.s has a suppression system over the kitchen's hood that's an nfpa standard developed by fire protection engineers right the fire protection engineering is everywhere we just don't see it every element of the built environment that we're in is there because the fire protection engineer helped make sure it got there that's one of the reasons that we're talking to both of you today i think there are a lot of misconceptions many of which you just talked about Stephen. but also i can tell you just myself i've done hundreds of podcast interviews obviously talked to hundreds of engineers. I had a couple of the same misconceptions that you just talked about, but also the idea that to become a fire protection engineer, my thought process is you have to go to a special school for that. And obviously we dispelled that today and you could certainly have gone to any school, become a, a licensed professional engineer, civil, mechanical, or working in the civil or mechanical field or another field and make a pivot into fire protection engineering by learning about it, taking certain courses and, th and things of that nature. So that's really happy to hear you talk about those things. And I guess a follow-up question, Stephen, to that is, what are some of the skill sets and the knowledge areas that you feel are necessary for success or would be helpful to success in the field of fire protection engineering for those thinking about if it's the right fit for them? A couple of things. So skills versus knowledge areas. So skills, I think one of the biggest things and is probably the collaboration is, I don't want to say all engineers have to be good at collaborating, right? We typically all have to work with other disciplines. But I think fire protection engineering is much or more than others. You have to have good collaboration and communication skills. 
and I'll give you an example. When you put up a special type of sprinkler system, Chris mentioned in a warehouse, an ESFR sprinkler system, they're highly susceptible to obstruction. And what happens is we don't put up that steel bar joist in coordination with the sprinkler contractor, we'll obstruct all these sprinklers and render them virtually useless. And so we spent a fortune on this uh, fancy sprinkler system to protect this warehouse with storage to 30 feet, and we've rendered it useless, and now we've got to go back and change everything. So we really have to focus hard on that collaboration. And so that's a really important skill. But in terms of the knowledge areas, and SFPE has published a competency guide for the practice of fire protection engineering that I'd recommend everyone take a look at. Thermodynamics is a huge part of, of fire protection engineering. Hydraulics, you got to know a little bit of chemistry, physics, some statistics and probability because we look at reliability rates. If we're going to do performance-based design, you really got to get into understanding reliability and then maybe a little bit of, again, some human behavior if you're going to do some life safety work and understanding interior finishes that gets into, again, some chemistry and physics. So those are the core areas. It's not in terms from a knowledge standpoint, everything you learned in your undergrad studies will get you the basis. It's a matter of taking, for example, the principles of fire protection engineering course that is out there. There's a lot of courses, SAP has one, that takes all that and applies it specifically to fire protection engineering. And the biggest difference, I think, is understanding the specific codes, NFPA standards. I won't say govern, that's not the right word, but so much of what we do is related to those prescriptive standards. And you really have to understand those in order to be at least minimally competent in the area. And I don't know if Chris would want to add a little bit to that. That's as much his area as mine, I think. And I was going to come back to Chris now too, to kind of build on that a little bit and kind of, firstly, we certainly want to hear a little bit about SFPE and also tying back to what Stephen just mentioned, kind of some of the technical content that you provide for the profession of fire protection engineering in line with that. Yeah, at SFPE, we kind of call ourselves the leaders in engineering a fire safe world. And there's many ways we do this. And one of the ways we do this is by advancing our technical knowledge base, our body of knowledge for the profession. Our most important document is the SFPE Handbook of Fire Protection Engineering. That's now in its fifth edition. If you look behind Stephen's shoulder, there's three orange books there. <laughs> That's the SFPE Handbook, which kind of covers every important area that you need to understand uh, for fire protection engineering. It's used in our university. It's used by the practitioners who are practicing as fire protection engineers. We also develop engineering guidelines and engineering standards that I would say are in areas specifically related to fire protection engineering itself, or areas that I believe SAP is a true niche in the business or our members really have a good understanding. For example, uh, we have a, a guide to performance-based design that provides a framework on how to do this. We're working on changing that guide into a standard so that process will become standardized. We have a guide for human behavior and fire where some of our members are some of the best people in this area. Fire risk assessment and also on, on how to use fire models and select fire models for the appropriate application, which is a very important thing to understand as a fire protection engineer. We also have a magazine called Fire Protection and Engineering Magazine that's published four times a year. And with this magazine, we could kind of do a better job of one, getting to the emerging trends that are out there. 
to get something in the SFP handbook or one of our standards might take some time because there's a process there. But since we uh, publish a magazine four times a year, we could get emerging issues in our profession out there. And then also, another aim of that magazine is to provide the practitioners with solutions to everyday fire protection engineering problems. We also work with NFPA to produce the journal Fire Technology, which is the peer-reviewed journal in our profession. We also have a number of education courses uh, that include topics of fire protection engineering. A lot of them, as Steve mentioned, are really interested to other engineers of other disciplines. We also do conferences, symposiums every year. We have two major conferences. Three weeks ago, we had a, a very large conference in Berlin for our European members. And every year we have, a, in around the time of October, we have a, a very large uh, annual conference this year in Washington, D.C. And then we also work on things like online courses, webinars. We just published a, a new online course in Ethics for Fire Protection Engineers, which is an easy one-hour course that you could do online and, and get your CE credits if you're a PE in that area. A lot of the engineering boards, of course, require continuing pro professional education in the area of ethics a lot of times. Chris, just building on that, because you mentioned the continuing education, I know that there is a PE exam in fire protection, a spec on fire protection for the PE exam or, or a discipline or a category. Can you talk a little bit about the topics that are covered on that PE exam, the, the fire protection? Every seven years or so, just like any other PE exams, uh, a committee is put together to look at really what are the activities that fire protection engineers are doing. And then what knowledge do you need to be able to do those activities? And that kind of makes up what are the topics on the PE exam in fire protection. There's really four basic categories. The first one being fire protection analysis, understanding how to do a fire risk assessment, understanding how to do performance-based design, understanding things like fire testing and how do you interpret fire testing data. The second topic is fire dynamics. So really understanding how fire and smoke behaves in the building, understanding the concepts of heat transfer, of course, is very important for fire protection engineers. And the third category is the largest category, which includes active and passive systems. So there we have questions related to water-based systems, uh, special hazards, payload alternative type systems, where you can't really use water to control the fire, fire alarm and communication systems. And one thing we need to talk about today is smoke control systems, the systems that remove smoke from the building or when there is a fire. And then the last uh, category is egress and occupant movement. And there's really two sections there, one that focuses on how humans behave in fire, and it really gets into the decisions that people make when there is a fire in the building. Like, for example, when a fire alarm is activated in the building, do people automatically get up and respond to that fire? Are people willing to walk through smoke if there's a fire? A lot of that depends on the density of the smoke, but those types of things are considered when we're talking about how humans react in fire. And then finally, the more prescriptive approach to egress and occupant 
movement where we're really talking about defining a fire load, I mean, a occupant load in a building or determining where our exits will be or how far, you know, did we travel to get to an exit? And I asked that question just because I think going through those topics gives our listeners a really good idea of all the different things, again, that fire protection engineers can get involved in. And at the same time, if someone out there is thinking of maybe pivoting into fire protection engineering and maybe they're not licensed yet, they, of course, might consider taking that, the fire protection PE exam. And so, Stephen, I know SFPE offers a PE exam review course for the fire protection exam. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the course and how it might help prepare individuals for the exam? The SFPE offers the P-Exam Review course. It is a 18-week course, so it's a comprehensive course that begins in early June and runs through mid-October in preparation for the exam in late October. Right now, the exam is what it is, a once-a-year course in October. And we hit on all the same topics that Chris just went over. We have 11 instructors for those topics. We've broken the class up into 14 different technical topic weeks. So some of those we cover in two weeks. So for example, fire dynamics, we cover in two weeks. We take two weeks to cover fire dynamics. One of the things, uh, Anthony, we know about our class is that anywhere from a half to two thirds of our course participants over the last three years do not have a degree in fire protection. So they are that person with a mechanical or maybe civil degree, and they've graduated, they've been doing sprinkler design work, and they want to go get their PE, but they don't know anything about smoke control, or maybe they don't know anything about life safety, and that's covered on the exam. So our course is geared to help someone understand all areas of it. And so the course is offered, the way we do it is we have a pre-recorded session for each week, for each topic, and then we offer it live the week that we have the topic. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we just offer the same topic. We just offer it twice during the week to be flexible. We have a one and a half hour live session with our instructor. Each week is a new topic. So it once it starts, it's a grind. It's a new topic every week, except for a couple where we have split up into two weeks just to cover the topic. But we then did add in four office hours. And so we go about two or three weeks and then we'll take a break and we'll have an office hours it's, we thought of it like in college, where you can get online just to talk with the instructor about what we've covered so far. And we have those uh, once a week for an hour. You can uh, answer any questions that you have, talk to the instructors. They can help solve problems with you and that sort of thing. So our course has a combination of on-demand content that's pre-recorded. We have live sessions once a week, and then we have our office hours to help the instructor. So it's a total of about four hours live with our instructors each week. And then, of course, we have through SFPE's LMS, test bank of questions so people can test themselves as they go along. We have a reading list of suggested reading and required reading and that sort of thing. We have 11 different instructors. It's because we have a different instructor for every week. We have subject matter experts for each topic so that they really are practicing engineers in that discipline. We want to make sure we have the best instructors that we can. And working with SFPE, with it being part of SFPE's organization, we can pull from the entire body that SFPE has as members. That is something that's really nice. And then I coordinate it. That's sort of my role as I'm the leader and the coordinator of the course. All right. So I got one last question for each of you. And Stephen, I'll start with you on this one. What advice would you give to someone who's interested in pursuing a career in fire protection engineering? They may, maybe they want to pivot. 
what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, I think it's a great career. I would, if somebody's thinking about that, I would encourage it. It's what I've done. I start off as a firefighter and, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm not changing careers. So I would encourage you to pursue that. Reach out to somebody. If you can, go to SFP's website, find a local chapter and go to a local meeting if you can. See, there's chapters all over the U.S. and overseas. Go to a meeting if you can. If not, sit in on a webinar. As Chris mentioned, there's webinars. Just sit in on a webinar and see what it's about. There's also some, I think, really inexpensive courses. You could just take a, a very simple course just to see, pick one area that you think you may be interested in, whether it's sprinkler systems, if if you like hydraulics, or if it's smoke control, if you like thermodynamics a little bit, or maybe if it's passive, if you're a civil engineer, you want to learn a little bit more about structural fire protection. Just pick an area and, and read up on it a little bit. I believe, Chris can correct me, I believe you can, if you don't want to buy the entire handbook of fire protection engineering, which is not inexpensive. I think you can buy just one chapter at a time. Just buy one chapter for a very inexpensive amount and read it. See what the one chapter on passive fire protection is like and start off that way and then go from there. There's easy ways to test it out and see if see what you like about it. And Chris, for you, just following up on that, where can our listeners go to see, find this information, learn about SFPE? What's the best place to go? At sfp.org, uh, we have a lot of information about the profession. Uh, in that website, you could find a section on careers that kind of talk about some of the career pathways. It talks about some of the colleges and universities that offer programs for somebody who is uh, in high school looking for a career. There's a contact list for colleges that offer BS programs. But for those who are already in a profession already, as an engineer, there are three MS online programs in fire protection engineering in the United States that offer the opportunity for you to work as an engineer and take classes online where you could get an MS degree. And all three of these programs are really focused on taking the engineer to the next step of whatever engineering discipline in they are into becoming a fire protection engineer. Well, Chris, Stephen, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. I think fire protection engineering sounds like a really, really interesting career with a lot of challenges and a lot of great opportunities. And I'm glad that you were able to kind of educate our listeners on more about it, because I'm sure that some of them may be interested. Like I said, we have a lot of students, maybe they're early in their career in, in, as a student and they might want to get into a program, or we have some listeners that might want to pivot to it. So thanks again for your time today. We really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. As I said in the intro, there are always opportunities in your career to make transitions. And so you may not have gone to school to become a fire protection engineer, but you may still have the opportunity to do that. And I think Stephen and Chris enlighten that path here today for those of you that might be interested in doing that. We'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. As always, you can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and there you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering career endeavors. 
Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.